Welcome to the National Presbyterian Church Podcast. I'm Pastor Ray Hilton, and I'd like to personally say how thrilled we are to share our sermon with you this week. If you feel encouraged by our messages, we invite you to hit the subscribe button so you will never miss an episode. Now, let's go to the National Presbyterian Church Sanctuary and hear the word of the Lord. The scripture reading today is from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. Hear the word of the Lord. Rid yourselves, therefore, of all malice and all guile, insincerity, envy, and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Come to him, a living stone, though rejected by mortals, yet chosen and precious in God's sight. And like living stones, let yourself be built into a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, see, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. To you then who believe, he is precious. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the very head of the corner, and a stone that makes them stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the word, as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. At National Presbyterian Church, we're leading people to become faithful followers of Jesus Christ together in today's world, in God's world. You see this written every Sunday that you're here on the front cover of our bulletin. It's our mission statement. And if there's a single word that would sum up this mission statement, I think it's discipleship. We aspire to be a church full of people who, like the original disciples in Galilee, are following Jesus faithfully. We've been hearing the past several weeks that to be a follower of Jesus means a lot more than just coming to church on Sunday. It means taking the name, taking the nature, the attitude, the mind of Jesus into all we do, into our relationships, where we live, where we work, where we go to school, where we recreate and play. Wherever we go, we take Jesus with us. What is it that enables us to do this, to live in this way? It's possible to do this when we love God together as God's people. And if we do that, everything else will flow out of it. But how do, you, how do we do it? Well, the way that we're proposing that we do this at National is through five practices that guide us as we follow Jesus together as his disciples. These are the essentials of what it means to be a disciple-making church. 
This is nothing new. We've said that. These are basic things. So whether you're new to the Christian faith or have been on the journey a long time, as we begin 2024, what we're doing is we're remembering and reminding ourselves what we're all about as God's people here at National Presbyterian Church. We worship the Lord. We serve the world that God made at its points of acute need. We care for those and one another in need. And all of this is rooted in the reconciliation that we have with God and with one another through Jesus Christ. And this morning, we're going to consider what it means to grow in our faith, in our relationship to God in Christ. Worship, serve, care, reconciliation, and today, spiritual growth. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, would you open our ears and our hearts to hear your word? And may the words that come out of my mouth and the meditations in all of our hearts be acceptable as our worship to you, as our obedience, as our discipleship. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. If you brought a Bible, I invite you to find the first letter of, of Peter. If you're using a pew Bible, you can turn to page 983. And I want to take a look at what comes before the passage that Jennifer read. And Jennifer, thank you for reading the passage this morning. And when Peter began his letter, and oftentimes when we read the letters uh, of Peter and Paul and others that we find in the New Testament, we sort of go over the, the, the beginning of the letter uh, pretty quickly, um, as if, uh, well, this, you know, like, to whom it may concern, or, but, that, but, but here we want to pay attention to it. And let's look at this opening verse. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the exiles of the dispersion. And then he lists several provinces that are in Asia Minor. To the exiles in the dispersion. That's important because it brings something to mind that we might not think of. It's in the Old Testament and, and the Hebrews who had been carried off to exile in Babylon. Babylon, the Babylonian Empire, came conquered Jerusalem and took its inhabitants and resettled them in a foreign country. Babylon is anything other than Jerusalem. If Jerusalem is the holy city, then Babylon is the unholy city. Everything about Babylon made it difficult to worship the Lord there. You may be familiar with the words of Psalm 137, where the psalmist wrote, by the waters of Babylon, we, we laid down and wept when we remembered Jerusalem. How can we sing the Lord's song in this strange land? The Hebrews had a difficult time worshiping in exile. And so when Peter wrote to these early Christians, they were also having a difficult time being faithful to God because they found themselves in the midst of Roman culture. It was dominated by 
strange mystery religions, by idolatry, by hedonism and greed. And Peter is drawing a parallel between the church in Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey, and the exiles who lived and worked in Babylon, where they struggled to be faithful to the Lord. And many of us know what it's like to live in environments that are not favorable to faithfully following Jesus. Our daily schedules are crammed with agendas to maximize profit, to elevate our GPA, to optimize what David Brooks astutely identifies as resume virtues. Optimizing those aspects of our lives that elevate our value in the marketplace as opposed to what we would like to be remembered for. At the same time, we find ourselves daily in the drudgery of carpool lines and checkout lines and lines of traffic backed up to go through traffic circles as we make trips to the grocery store and to the cleaners and to the vet. And then there are planes to catch and clients to call and papers to write and deals to close. And every 12 minutes, on average, we're checking our smartphones for the latest news update or social media post or text message. And then it's home to make dinner or order carryout again, clean up the house, help with the homework, put the kids to bed, sort the laundry, somewhere in there maybe we found a, some time to get some kind of physical exercise. Oh, and I, I left out, read the Bible, pray, be part of a small group of fellow Christians where we can hold each other accountable and lift each other up in prayer. We may not be in geographical exile, but the environment in which most of us spend our days is not favorable to Christian faith and the life of discipleship. If you've still got your Bible open, look down to page, uh, the page to verse 23. I'm going to read this passage because it's what immediately precedes the passage that we're looking at this morning. You have been born anew, not of perishable but of imperishable seed, through the living, enduring Word of God. Peter is writing to people who have been given new life by God's grace. The Greek word is literally begotten anew or regenerated. And this happens by the means of God's word. And his next logical thought is, therefore, you have been given new life in Christ. Therefore. Well, therefore what? Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all guile, insincerity, envy, and all slander. Right there, that's how verse uh, 1 of chapter 2 begins. These five words were familiar to readers of early Christian literature. And they all focus on attitudes and behaviors that are destructive of community. Malice, deceit, phoniness, envy, slander, literally talking down to other people. I think there are lots of occasions for talking down to other people in Washington. 
this list is not a cliche encouraging people generically to just, well, be nice to each other. Exhibit public civility. It's an exhortation aimed specifically to those of us in the church as a caution that we not destroy our interior life, that we not treat people the way that they get treated a lot in the world around us. They're intended for those who have been born anew into a new household. The household will crumble if we treat each other this way. So Peter says, therefore, don't do this. Rid yourselves of this. And he's greatly concerned. If you look at chapter 1, verse 22, right above it, you'll see him emphasizing this. Now that you've purified your souls by your obedience to the truth so that you have genuine mutual love, love one another deeply from the heart. In other words, now that you've made a commitment to follow Jesus, you've been given genuine mutual love. It's a gift. That phrase, mutual love, is a single Greek word. Philadelphia. This is the word that's in the name of the city to the north of us, the one with the football team that has made famous the brotherly shove in short yardage situations. Philadelphia in Greek means mutual love, brotherly love. Growing up, I heard that it was the city of brotherly love. Depending on where your loyalties in sports uh, lie, you, you might not feel that way about Philadelphia, but anyway. Peter exhorts believers to love one another deeply from the heart. And we can do this because we've been regenerated from the seed of the word of God. Believers are able to love one another in this countercultural way because of the caring, self-giving, unconditional love revealed in the life and death of Jesus. And because we have this new birth, when the seed of the Word of God is sown in our lives, followers of Jesus Christ then are to rid ourselves of community-destroying behaviors. This word, rid yourselves, is pretty common in uh, the letters of the New Testament. And it literally means put away or lay aside, like you would an old, worn-out garment that you're done with. These community-destroying ways of behavior are to be seen as old and tired, useless, even counterproductive for the work of God's people. So get rid of them, Peter says. Lists like this can be found throughout the uh, letters in the New Testament. They're pretty common in early Christian literature. Most of Paul's letters contained, uh, contain lists like this. They're, they're referred to as vice lists. And on several occasions, Paul follows up a vice list with a corresponding list of virtues. But Peter doesn't. He's not Paul. Peter follows uh, doesn't follow Paul's example here. He wants to take it in a different direction to emphasize something different. So he doesn't give us a bunch of things that we're supposed to do to counteract. Instead, he says, choosing a different tack, 
you need to do new, newborn, those who have been born anew, Christians need to do what newborn infants do. They long for food. They li literally crave after milk. He says, it's pure spiritual milk that we ought to long for. Just as a child's mother has what her baby needs and longs for, so God has nourishment for us that enables us to grow into salvation, including and especially the milk of the Word of God that Ray referred to in the children's sermon. Just as a child's mother has what her baby needs, God's nourishment is for us and enables us to grow into salvation. Followers of Christ are born anew, and so we should crave for milk the way all newborns do. If you're familiar with the rest of the New Testament, there might be some potential confusion here, so I want to clear it up for us. For Paul, and in the book of Hebrews, milk has a different uh, understanding. It, it symbolizes initial instruction in the faith, and so it's considered something to be negative or something to be left behind, and, and it's contrasted to the solid food that's needed by those seeking Christian maturity, but not for Peter. For Peter, this divine milk is something that Christians are never supposed to outgrow as we grow up into salvation. I haven't seen anything recently, but some of us will remember ads sponsored by the American Dairy Association, particularly the ones in the 1980s. Milk, it does a body good. And you're watching as a young person is transformed into an adult while drinking milk over the course of a 30-second commercial. And I'm dating myself now, right? Some of you weren't even born. But if you weren't, you can watch examples of this only 30 seconds uh, with a Google search, and, and you'll find it on YouTube. This spiritual milk enables us to grow up into full maturity. And the result, and Ray shared this illustration a couple of weeks ago in his sermon, is that we all become little Christs when we crave for this pure spiritual milk that God has for us. Another important metaphor for spiritual growth in the Bible can be seen in the verse on the cover of the bulletin. In Psalm 1, we read, Happy are those who delight in the law of the Lord. And here the law of the Lord is to be understood. It's a synonym for Scripture. Happy are those who delight in the law of the Lord and meditate on it day and night. They are like trees planted by streams of water in all that they do they prosper. And so the psalmist is comparing those who live, whose lives are shaped by the Bible with a tree planted by a stream of water in the desert, which is what the situation was like in the Middle East, in the land of Jesus and in the land of the exile. Nancy and I have visited the country of Egypt on several occasions, and it it's a great example of how this works. We've witnessed firsthand the importance for water to the growth of plants and really to the survival and the existence of any civilization because the vast majority of Egypt is arid. It's desert. 
and civilization is pretty much tied to the water that is provided by the Nile River. The ancient historian Herodotus, uh, writing about Egypt, said that Egypt is a gift of the Nile. Plants need water to grow. And so, if we are deeply rooted, then we have what we need to grow. A few weeks ago, Ray shared with us what he and Judith have learned about growing a vegetable garden, that you have to cultivate the plants in order for them to yield their crop. My very first job as a teenager was working for a wholesale florist. I spent that first summer, I'm trying to remember what minimum wage was. I'd like to think it was $1.75 an hour, but I think it might have been only $1.25 an hour. Anyway, <laughs> I did all kinds of projects. I hung huge black curtains that could be drawn during the day to simulate nighttime so that flowers that normally bloomed in the fall, if they were planted outside, chrysanthemums, for instance, would bloom ahead of time so that they could be sold in the floral shops. I installed a mist system that created a cooler, moisture environment so that tropical plants could grow. This is in the upper Midwest. I sprayed fertilizer, and I pulled weeds, and I learned that it's possible to create a favorable environment in which a variety of different species of flowers and plants would flourish regardless of what was happening outside with the weather. Inside the greenhouse, there was this special, optimal environment. And as Christians who are created by God to grow in our love for God and for one another, we are able to create alternatives to the places that we find ourselves every day, the world where we work and go to school, where we live and where we shop. It may not be an optimal environment for growth in Christian faith, but we can do something about that. We can optimize the conditions and be like a tree planted by streams of water or a tropical plant under a mist system in the upper Midwest. And we're given tools to do this. And that's like the food that we use to grow. Um, we're given tools that enable us to become these little Christs, practices for spiritual growth and formation. Our Sunday school programs for children, youth, and adults, where we study the Bible and have fellowship with one another and learn how to pray. That's one of the tools that we're given. We serve together as we utilize the gifts that God has given us so that, that God calls us to use for the sake, and for his sake and glory and for the sake of the world. We're about to begin a six-week session of small groups later this month that will begin the first week in Lent and we'll run up to Easter and we'll consider the scripture and the sermon uh, for e each week. Six weeks. You can sign up right now on the internet. Well, not right now, but I would encourage you to consider doing that. Many of you have had small group experiences and you know that that is a great way to grow in your faith and as well as to, to learn who your fellow Christians are here at National.
And then Peter concludes his exhortation to spiritually reborn children by kind of blending a, a farming metaphor of a plant growing with a construction metaphor of a stone building. And you'll find this beginning in verse 4 of the second chapter of 1 Peter. Just a few important things to notice about this vivid image that Peter is providing to us. First, the stones are alive. Just as the sacrifice that we make to God in Romans 12 that we looked at a few weeks ago is a living sacrifice, the stones are also alive. And so there's kind of an organic quality, the, the, the notion that the, the stones might be able to grow. And the reason the stones are alive is because of the one who is the living stone. The stone that was rejected by the powers, but is chosen and precious to God, who God has made the cornerstone. And we're living stones because God has made us alive, born anew of the seed that is imperishable, the seed that never dies, this same God who is the source of pure spiritual milk that causes us to, to grow up, to mature to salvation, has made us living stones. And according to what Peter's writing here, we're to be built into a spiritual house with Jesus Christ as the cornerstone. It's sort of a combination of this, the living stones, the roots of a tree, You've probably seen that in order for a, a tree to grow tall, the taller the tree grows and the wider the tree grows, the root system is doing the same thing. And so it, it's, a, it's a strong foundation that we have in Jesus Christ. And we're being built into this spiritual house. The second thing that we should notice is we're not the ones who do the construction work. We are the material. God, though, is the builder. And as we faithfully follow Christ, as we practice our faith through worship, spiritual formation, service, caring, and reconciliation, we make ourselves available for the Holy Spirit to do something in us so that we can then be used to create a spiritual house that honors and bears witness to God. Well, the third and final observation is that there are no individual stones. We don't do this on our own. We don't grow in faith by ourselves. We are all little Christs growing to spiritual maturity, but we're not out there all flying solo. The end goal is not individual, it's corporate. When we grow up, which is to say when God grows us up, we grow into a single building, a temple, into which the living stones are being built. Peter sums it all up in verse 9 by describing the people that Christ is forming us to be as a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people who proclaim the mighty acts of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. We are built together 
for the single purpose of being God's witness and presence in the world. This is the purpose for our reconciliation. To show the world that there is a God who seeks to be reconciled with all peoples and to reconcile all peoples to himself and to each other. Which brings us back to where we started. The urgent need to grow in love towards one another by ridding ourselves of bad community-destroying practices. Friends, the world needs the church desperately to be the reconciled people of God together. So in the midst of all the challenges and even the threats to our growth as Christians, we can do something. We can nurture our life of faith by actively creating a spiritual environment through our reading of the Bible, through prayer, through fellowship, in the context of worship, service, and caring, by laying aside all malice, guile, insincerity, envy, and slander, by longing for the pure spiritual milk that God wants to feed us. You know the old adage, we are what we eat. So what will be our nourishment? With what will we satisfy our hunger? Augustine famously wrote that in a prayer to God, God, you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. And reflecting on this, the philosopher Blaise Pascal, over a millennium later, came up with this apt illustration. He said, every human being, inside each of us there is a God-shaped hole. Only God can fill it. And we, we try to fill it with lots of different things, but only God will finally satisfy us. We are what we eat. With what will we satisfy our hunger? Will we taste and see that the Lord is good? On the first Sunday of every month, it's our custom to come to the table of the Lord and symbolically to join in a meal where we literally taste and see. And so we will do that this morning together as God's living stones who are being built into a spiritual house for the very purpose of being the presence of God for the sake of the world. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, will you pray with me? And so, gracious God, it's overwhelming what you have done for us and what you call us to. We can't do it on our own, but thank God you're not asking us to. Would you enable us, would you give us the, the grace and the mercy and the will to cultivate the spiritual nurture of our lives so that we might be a willing, a willing tool, a living stone that you can build into your temple for your glory and for the sake of the world. In Jesus' name, amen.
We're glad that you could be with us today. If you would like more information about our church, visit our website at nationalprayers.org. That's nationalprayers.org. Help us spread the good news of the gospel by sharing our podcast with your friends and giving us a rating. If you haven't already, be sure to click the subscribe button. See you next week.